Hey guys, this is Brad Mike from Dallas Geek, and we are back with yet another Know Your Director. Today, we are going to be talking about Quentin Tarantino, the so man, the one, myth, I, the legend. This one I get to swear all I want, just like a Tarantino movie, right? I'll still have to bleep you out. But I can, I can just go? You're going to make me edit uh, more, aren't you? Oh you're, yeah. You're, you're, you're killing me. Oh yeah. To start off with, Tarantino films. Uh, unlike the last video that we had talking about M. Night Shyamalan, Tarantino is literally the opposite with his camera work. Yep. Um, he is a very active cinematographer. He likes his scenes to stay moving. He likes his camera to stay moving. In fact, uh, he will go handheld with so many more of his shots yep. than he will steady cam. Yep. Uh, specifically because he wants you to feel the action and the uh, energy of the scene. Now, a lot of it does depend on the movie. Because in Hateful Eight, there wasn't a whole lot of, a lot of Hateful Eight was dialogue. Because True. it was them trapped in that cabin. A lot of Pulp Fiction, if you remember. True. Pulp Fiction, Vinny at dinner with Marcellus Wallace's wife, Vinny and Jules in the diner. He knows when to slow it down for the sake of the dialogue driving the scene. He also knows when to speed it up for the sake of the action and the overtop gratuitous violence. Reservoir Dogs was a great example of yeah. that. Uh, Reservoir Dogs was just go, go, go. You had so few times where the camera stopped. The characters very uh, rarely stopped. Kill Bill was a great example of when the characters and the camera just kept going. I mean, even on the dialogue scenes, they, uh, there was always some kind of movement going yeah. on. Also, about his uh, cinematography, he is a big fan of bright colors yes. with a medium contrast, but with that medium contrast, he, looks, he likes to put a lot more emphasis on uh, the shadows so that yeah. black clothing, dark corners, anything that is going to make all the colored uh, the colorful aspects of the scene pop, he will put a lot more emphasis on the darker aspects of the scenes explicitly to show the color more. Yeah. Uh, explicitly to be able to show the characters more. Like uh, with Reservoir Dogs in Pulp Fiction, every time you had the characters in the dark suits, he would always put extra emphasis on the black of the suit to make them pop more. Even then, for the scene for Reservoir Dogs, when yep. they're all walking down the street, uh, oh, to yeah, make yeah. their suits and them pop so much more from the background. He he, he understands composition. He yes. and he understands how to make the focus of the scene more emphasized without just kind of bleeding uh, the colors and the <laughs> characters together. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I just speaking of bleeding. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's another that's aspect it. of Tarantino. <laughs> Good lord, all of the blood. <laughs> All of the blood. In fact, I don't think there's a single movie of his where there wasn't heavy blood work. No. In fact, if the guys that do his special effects, especially the blood special effects, do not get paid better than any other special effects guys in the industry that there's, do that. There's something wrong. There's something really wrong. I mean, they, of everybody else behind the scenes, this blood special effects guys make his movies look well, I mean, good. you saw it in Kill Bill. Kill Bill, it's <laughs> way over the top in oh, Kill Bill. In fact, it's super over the top in Django, too. But I think Kill Bill may actually uh, go further than any of his other movies uh, 
with how much yeah. blood was there. In fact, I'd actually love to find out how many gallons of blood, uh, fake blood, were used in just the first Kill Bill. See now, Not even the second one, the first. How many gallons of fake blood were used? Tarantino is also enough of a psychopath. Like, do we know that that was fake blood? I mean, I <laughs> think the Union would have something to say if it wasn't. It doesn't have to be human blood. <laughs> I mean, that stuff just got everywhere, man. Oh my gosh. It was really bad in, uh, it was really bad in Hateful Eight. <laughs> really bad in Hateful Eight. What else? His dialogue scenes. His dialogues, man, his dialogue scenes are super weird. So like, there will be entire scenes where it's just exposition. No, and he's just letting the dialogue do all of the work. Glorious Bastards. Um, the scene where they're down in the bar, after they get all of their backstories, they're trying to sneak behind German lines. <coughs> and they're literally just in the bar bullshitting with all the German officers. It's like a 20 minute exposition scene. Yeah, oh my gosh. Like legitimately, like they're going like, I think Fassbender is the, Michael Fassbender, I think if I remember right, is the officer that's kind of talking to him. And like, he's just going back, oh, where are you from? Oh, okay, and then he just keeps going and going and going and going and going, like literally just talking, talking. And then it's like the one little thing that gives them away. They don't, he doesn't like to let his actors breathe. Uh, and not even like individual actors. Yeah. Like when you're having dialogue between two actors, like if uh, if you and I were in the Quentin Tarantino movie right now, the second I stopped talking, you would immediately be picking yep. up. There would be no time between either of us stopping before the other starts. In fact, several of his scenes have people starting to talk over each other just to make sure that there is no downtime between uh, dialogue. Yeah. He'll either do that or he'll space it out on purpose. Yeah, like like the, uh, scene, like uh, the diner scene from Pulp Fiction I was gonna say uh, between Jules and... Um, oh, Tim Roth? Tim Roth. Yeah. Uh, between uh, Jules and uh, Tim Roth's character. Oh, just that scene where they've got each other by the... They've got each other at gunpoint and they're just talking. And he's doing the whole thing of like... He recites the quote to him and then... Yeah, Ezekiel. Yeah. Probably the most well-known Samuel L. Jackson quote of all time. And that mean quote, other than him saying... Well, never mind. That 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 is a single quote. This is the most quoted line of his, which is like half a scene. Uh, it's a great scene, though. But like, that's yeah, it literally is. like it's just them talking. The gimp scene in Pulp Fiction. Honestly, if it hadn't, not, I mean, not if not, it hadn't been for the gimp scene, I would actually be able to handle every aspect of Pulp Fiction. The gimp like, scene is I the just, one part that still makes me feel uncomfortable, which I know is the I just, point I of it. Believe, I, I get it. Like, but, I can't believe these words are about to come out of my mouth. But I wasn't talking during the sodomy. I'm at post. <laughs> oh god. We can keep that in there, right? <laughs> but so after Bruce Willis goes and gets the samurai sword and kills him, yeah. and then he's talking to Marcellus Wallace and he's, you all right, man? It's like a five second pause and he's, nah, man. I'm real far from all right. And like, they don't make eye contact with each other. They're still looking off in different directions. It's, it's such an effed up scene that like yeah. he purposefully puts a five to 10 second gap in between lines of dialogue to let it sink in how effed up the situation is still. And the fact that you have Ving Rhames uh, saying these lines and looking so just brutalized, which to be fair, he was, it is a whole different level of intensity of a scene. Well, like, and then the great scene too is where Bruce Willis in that same scene, he's like, so what now? Like, what now? And he talks about all the things that they're gonna do to Zed and then Bruce Willis is like, no, I meant what now as in us. Another like five second pause. Oh, that what now? Yeah, because that's the thing with Tarantino. He understands dialogue, but more importantly, he understands his actors yeah. and how each individual actor handles certain types of dialogue. Right. Like, uh, for example, in uh, the torture scene during Reservoir Dogs, 
he knew which actor was going to be able to handle that the best. Yeah, Michael Madsen, because he's a psychopath. But then you uh, turn around and you got the scene with Vinny. The scene with Vinny and uh, Mar Marcellus Wallace's wife. Mrs. Wallace. Back at the house. Yeah. The the awkward pauses that he had to do, but with no dialogue, just the, the back and forth of the... He knew Travolta was the best guy to do that, that that was the actor to do something like that. That that was not going to be a Samuel L. Jackson. That was not going to be a, a Mr. Wolf. Yeah. Uh, oh, God. Fucking Harvey Keitel in that movie is so great. <laughs> uh, he knew that definitely is not Ving Rhames. He yeah. also understands how, like, he understands what actors he's worked with. Like, he writes specific roles for specific for actors. Right, like he wrote the role of um, John Ruth the Hangman in Hateful Eight specifically for Kurt Russell. Well, he also knows when it comes to, imp uh, to improv, he knows what each actor's strengths are and is willing to trust his actors with their improv because he is a very much an actor's director. Right, he lets and his actors play around with stuff. He lets his actors kind of like feel things out. I mean, what, probably one of the most famous moments of improv in a Tarantino film was in Django with Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, Who had a real hard time saying some of his lines of dialogue in that film. You know, Tarantino's favorite line of dialogue. To where there's actually a story where both Jamie Foxx and Samuel L. Jackson basically had to tell him to man up and just say it. Which uh, is crazy. <laughs> when you really think about it. I mean, especially when you hear Sam Jackson talk about uh, that conversation God, in like, interviews. I would legitimately just give anything to have like been there for that. Like just Samuel L. Jackson, just, oh God, that would've been so great. Oh, sorry. I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, no, the the, uh, the level of improv uh, improvisation that uh, he allows his actors to do. I mean, there, there was even quite a bit in, uh, in Glorious Bastards. Yes. Like Eli Roth, his introduction scene. The bear um, right has beats the Nazi to death with the bat. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, if I remember correctly, that was almost entirely improvised. Um, now, yeah, because they was... had tried it several other ways, and then uh, Eli, he, he knew there was something missing, and so he just uh, told Eli uh, to say, just say run whatever with it, you want, run man. with it, say what you want, uh, do what you want, just really, just run with what feels right, and he did, and that was the take they ended up keeping because it just felt more natural. He's also very big on the details. Oh my gosh! So, like another perfect example, like in. Glorious Bastards is Diane Kruger's character when she, spoiler alert, but when she gets strangled to death yeah. by Christoph Waltz's character, when it does the, when it does the close up where it's just the hands around her neck and her being choked, it's Tarantino's hands because he's actually choking her. Yeah, and he, he had a specific way of how he wanted the strangulation to happen, how he wanted her to be reacting, and he knew and the only that, way to do it was to actually choke her. Yeah, in that it had to Which be him. Which is super effed he, up when you think about it. He knew he knew how to elicit the right kind of reaction from her. Even though she's a great actress, he knew how to interact with her in the way to get the reaction from her he was needing for the scene. Right. Plus, from everything that we understand, just reading, doing interviews with actors that have worked with him, is he's a perfectionist to the point of, like, psychosis. There are many, many points about him that you could easily uh, go back and uh, relate back to Stanley Kubrick in just how hard he pushes himself with uh, details. But he also is a big fan of putting in details that will complement other big movies. Like, he is a big fan of classic 
classic Hollywood movies and will throw nods, whether it is the way a scene is framed and how action is done, well, or even just certain parts of dialogue that are thrown in specifically to be able to give a nod to this movie or that movie. Well, so like with Reservoir Dogs, like they all have a very like Rat Pack feel to them. They're yeah. all in suits, they're all standing on backdrops that make the suits pop out, like the way that they carry themselves. Oh, and of course, speaking of connecting to other movies, uh, connecting his movies back to each other. Right, they're, they're all- They're in the Tarantino there's, say, there's a theory that like half of his movies exist in one universe, half of his movies exist in another universe. And he's more or less confirmed that to be true, that uh, some of his movies are within the Tarantino universe and others are within a movie universe that exists within Tarantino's universe. Uh, like, for example, Kill Bill is one of the ones that is meant to be a movie within the uh, Tarantino universe. Like it connects but Reservoir like... Dogs and Pulp Fiction are part of the universe proper. Right. E even down to the level of connecting Michael Madsen's character and John Travolta's character from Reservoir Dogs and uh, Pulp, Pulp Fiction, Fiction. Right. to make them brothers, to have that connection there. And then he said, if um, I remember right, one of the characters in Inglorious Bastards is like the grandfather of one of the characters from... One of his earliest films. Four Rooms. Four Rooms. Okay, there we go. So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, that that's the just the kind of stuff that you're looking at. Uh, not only does it require a, a vast understanding of uh, Hollywood movies, it requires a vast understanding of his own movies. Right. So, I mean, it, it just, it shows a level of attention to detail that you don't see very often. Yeah, but he is very much one of those directors you will either love his movies or you will be like, I don't get it. Yeah. So that is about all that we can really go over without going into too much detail about a specific movie here and there. Because like, we could go for like another 40 minutes yeah. on Tarantino. So if you have a specific Tarantino movie that is your favorite, please leave it down in the comments. Tell us all about it. Tell us why you like it. Like, share this video. We'd love to hear from you. Like, as always, this is Brad and Mike from Dallas Geeks saying, see ya.